The following is a message by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. We're going to consider Psalm 91 uh, together, so please turn with me to that psalm, Psalm 91. Let us hear God's own word. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So far, the reading of God's Word. Psalm 91 has long been a fascinating psalm to me um, for all sorts of reasons. One of them that my father-in-law found this his favorite psalm when he spent a year and a half in a German prisoner of war camp during the Second World War. He had been shot down over Germany and placed in that camp, and this was a psalm to which he turned again and again and again for comfort, for encouragement, and for uh, strength. And uh, although we're not quite in a German prisoner of war camp, uh, this has been a long semester. Uh, We are uh, perhaps uh, worn out and discouraged. Uh, We are uh, seeing the end, but we're not quite there yet. Um, Our eschatological hope is strong, but still there's a week or two of uh, uh, struggle yet to face. And uh, so it's good to turn to the Word of God to find encouragement, but the, the problem with Psalm 91, to my mind, has always been, it's too good to be true. The promises are too extravagant. Um, don't we have to find some Calvinist way of ratcheting this down? Uh, so that uh, the promises don't just stand uh, as they are. Uh, Verse 7, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. 
or verse 10, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. That's a wonderful promise. But is it true? Now, we all know it's true. The question is, how is it true? Uh, what, what is really going on in this psalm? Uh, and anybody with any sense would not try to attack, uh, uh, approach it in the 20 minutes we have in chapel. Uh, it's, it's somewhat complicated. And yet it's so encouraging, it's so valuable, it's so important that this is my essay in the old sense of attempt uh, to try to approach this psalm, to try to encourage you and me with it. And, and to do that, of course, the first thing we have to say is, what is the context of this psalm? And the context of this psalm is book four of the Psalter. And book four of the Psalter follows on book three of the Psalter. And book three of the Psalter, no, we're not going to talk about book two. Uh, book three of the Psalter is really a collection of psalms particularly related to crisis in the life of Israel and probably the great crisis of exile and the defeat of the Davidic, Davidic monarchy and, and the tragedy of God's promises seeming to fail to David and, and exile and uh, loss of land and temple and family and home. And, and how will Israel deal with that? Um, Psalm 89, you remember, rehearses before God all the promises that he had made to David and the promise particularly that even if David's sons were disobedient, they would sit on his throne. And then the psalm says, and yet that promise doesn't seem to be fulfilled. The Davidic monarchy has been overturned. How are we to understand this? And, and book four begins the process of Israel trying to find Comfort in the midst of this calamity. And the Psalms of, of Book 4 in particular look to the creation and to the covenant with Moses to find comfort because there they see the history of God's faithfulness to his people. You can see God's power and faithfulness in creation. You can see God's power and faithfulness in delivering his people from Egypt. And so book four begins, first of all, with what? A psalm of Moses. And the third psalm in book four is the psalm of the Sabbath. And, and these two psalms uh, link us both to creation and both and to Moses and his work as the deliverer of the people from Egypt. And then in between, we find this Psalm 91. Somebody helpfully told me yesterday the rabbis say that if a psalm is entitled, then it was written by the author of the previous psalm. I'm not sure the rabbis are right about that. But there's a remarkably mosaic character to Psalm 91. And linguistically, it's remarkably linked to the song of Moses and the blessing of Moses in Deuteronomy 32 and 33. And again, we don't have time to look at all of that, but it's almost as if this psalm uh, is, is saying to the people of, of Israel, remember when I had Moses write out for you these words in Deuteronomy 31? 
Then my anger will be kindled against them, against Israel in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. Uh, the song of Moses was a song of witness against Israel for the faithful, faithlessness that would come upon them and, and overwhelm them. But it was not the last word, was it? Deuteronomy itself says, it will not be the last word, for I will restore my people from exile. And so the song of Moses is a song of witness and of warning, but the blessing of Moses in 33 follows. And this psalm is sort of a picking up of the blessing of Moses and an encouragement to Israel that they've passed through the calamity, they've passed through the crisis, and now these words echo with the images of Deuteronomy 32 and 33 uh, to encourage Israel, to strengthen Israel. First of all, in these opening two verses with the assurance that God is their home, uh, that they who have lost the land, can be assured that they still have a home in God. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Here's the, here's the opening confession of faith, if you will. Here's the, the opening expression of confidence that God is their home, as Psalm 90 had begun, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Um, Israel, the people of God, had a dwelling place before the promised land. Um, God was their dwelling place even in the land of slavery. And, and this psalm is a reflection and a reminder that for those who know the Lord and trust the Lord, he is with them, he blesses them, there's this intimacy of relationship. And, and that intimacy is taken up again in the last verses of the psalm. You know, the psalms are often constructed. Uh, if you don't know that yet, you'll learn that. But there's this kind of book-ending quality to the psalms. And um, so this opening part is taken up again at the end. Because he holds fast to me. This is the Lord speaking now. Because he, that is Israel, holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because... He knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Here, here's the Lord coming with this promise to those who trusted him, who shelter in him, whose dwelling places in him. And, and, and you see the intimacy of the relationship. Um, there is nothing mechanical, the Lord says, about our relationship with him. It is a relationship of trust. It is a relationship of love. It is a relationship of dependence. It is a relationship of conversation and prayer. And the Lord delights in that intimate relationship that he has with his people. And we know that we, we can have that and we can enjoy that only because of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, the mediator that connects us with this intimate promise, fellowship, uh, with our great God. So we're first promised God as a, a home for us. 
uh, both as a shelter and as a blessing. And then we go on to see how, how God has promised to, to protect us uh, in the course of our life. And uh, uh, verse 5, you know, almost is an inspiration for, for advertising. No fear. Uh, we need have no fear because the Lord is with us. Because the Lord is our refuge, but he is also the one who will actively uh, protect us. And that theme and that promise is taken up again uh, later in this psalm. Verse 10, no evil. You need have no fear because there will be no evil that will overwhelm you. Verse 10, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Their hands will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. In uh, the blessing of Moses in Deuteronomy 33, God had talked about coming from his holy angels, the thousands of them, uh, to bless his people. And here that theme is returned. And of course, you all immediately notice that uh, this is a verse that the evil one cited to our Lord in the wilderness. Satan was apparently a psalm singer. He knew the Psalter. Um, and so Satan himself comes to Jesus and says, aren't those promises in Psalm 91 rather extravagant? Let's see if they're true. Cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple and you'll be just fine because after all he said on their hands on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Is it true? Is it true? And how does Jesus respond? Interestingly, he responds by quoting Deuteronomy which uh, is, of course, the necessary background for the understanding of this psalm. And what does he say? You shall, not, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Um, that's a reference in the context of Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, to the episode in Exodus 17, as you all remember, of Israel at Massa and Meribah. And they grumbled. And they complained. like students after a final. No, it wasn't that kind of grumbling. It wasn't that kind of complaining. It was the complaining that says, we've been told that God was leading us out of Egypt and God was leading us to a promised land and here we are in the mess of this wilderness and where is God? He's not here. That's the grumbling. It's the grumbling of unbelief. It's the grumbling of rejection of the promises and purposes of God. And that's what our Lord, of course, is citing to the evil one. Don't tell me about God not being present. Don't tell me about God not keeping his promises. Don't tell me about all the lies you come with. The angels are always with me. They were with me at my birth. 
they will be with me at the end of this temptation to minister to me. They'll be with me in the Garden of Gethsemane. Tens of thousands of them at my call. They'll be with me at my resurrection. Don't tell me the angels aren't with me. But don't ask me to do stupid things to prove the promises of God that don't need proving because I know God is with me. I know God is present with me. And our Lord, of course, ultimately interprets this psalm for us because how did the angels bear him up? They bore him up to the cross. But on the cross, God remained his refuge and his fortress. On the cross, God remained the one who would not allow fear to overwhelm him or death to hold him, but the angels sustained him so that he could do what? So that he could tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. Devil apparently didn't want to quote that part of the passage because here is a reiteration of the prophecy that the seed of the woman crushed the head of the serpent. And so here is sort of the history of redemption laid out for us in, in poetic form to encourage us, to strengthen us with the promises of God. And at the center of this psalm, and as you know, often in psalms, the center is the heart of the meaning, is a verse that is a surprise as a center to this psalm, I think. But verse 8 is the center of the psalm, and it says, You will look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Israel may be exiled. Christ may be on the cross. The church may be in the wilderness. But the great day is coming when God will visibly vindicate his righteousness and vindicate his people and demonstrate his blessings that will never end. And so as you look forward to writing papers all night tonight and studying for exams and begin to wonder, is it all worthwhile? I hope you'll go with these words of encouragement that it's all worthwhile because you have wonderful promises that surround you and you're learning more and more about wonderful promises that you'll bear to the church and to the world to encourage God's people in all of their struggles. God bless you to that great end. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, our God, how thankful we are for your word. How thankful we are that its meaning is plain and on the surface in so many ways, that you are a God of promise and deliverance for your people. But we're also thankful how marvelously and intricately it's woven together so that truly it is a mine in which we can labor all our lives, finding ever new things to delight us and to offer in your service. And so, O oh Lord, bless us, encourage us, strengthen us in believing, for you will surely preserve us and protect us and grant us your salvation in Christ. Hear us, for we pray in his name. Amen. 
Copyright 2014. Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.